Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast, The Spider-Man Years. My name is Willie Simpson. My name is Sonia Rappaport. And today, Sonia, we are on the fifth episode of season one of the Spider-Man animated series, the episode titled The Menace of Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, uh, so far, one of my favorite sort of one-off introduction episodes we've had thus far. Yeah, I totally agree. This was a fun one. Yeah, the show is uh, quickly hitting its stride, I would say, mm-hmm. and just giving you all the elements of what makes for a good Spider-Man episode, at least in my eyes. Yeah. Things that I like uh, that uh, tickle my imagination in a Spider-Man episode. Uh, n- real New York City landmarks, which we have several here. Um Colorful villains, uh, Mysterio being one of the best, I think. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mysterio is going to be the main villain in the Spider-Man Far From Home movie, the the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. And he's played by, um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is playing him. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And which is kind of interesting because he was set to replace Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man Two when they were having contract negotiation problems. Right. So he finally he's gets a turncoat. Right, yeah, <laughs> he's a jilted uh, person from the movie business. Finally, getting uh, a role in a Spider-Man movie. So yeah. some small weak parallels there, but some nonetheless. Um, but yeah, Mysterio, another like great classic, oddball, unique Spider-Man villain. I, I love say. the look of Mysterio. The fishbowl head that lights up when he talks. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he's like an evil astronaut or something. Exactly. But yeah. like a nineteen. 19- 50s astronaut before we really knew what a real not real life astronaut looked like you know like tales of fantasy or something when they would sh- like those old sci-fi magazines yeah they would give astronauts those fishbowl hem- helmets right as opposed to sort of like half f- fishbowl helmet right yeah but yeah but like the, he was like my he was my favorite villain when i was a kid yeah i love mysterio too there everything about the character is great the uh design of the character like you said with the fishbowl um, the way his helmet lights up when he speaks. There's something very funny about him having a fishbowl head, but also a flowing cape. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why those are incongruous. He, he kind of like weirdly <laughs> reminds me of Magneto in a dopey way. Uh-huh. You know, because the Magneto... cape. Right, yeah, yeah. That's probably the main reason. The commanding but, voice. Yeah, I mean, and even though Magneto doesn't wear a fishbowl on his head, there's something funny about Magneto's helmet and mm. the fact that he even has one. And uh, there's something kind of industrial about Mysterio's outfit, outfit too similar to magneto mm-hmm. you know, like magneto has that like he's got like that necklace of rivets mm-hmm. of like bulbous rivets like going under his neck there you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um mysterio like has similar like weird like industrial like buttons and like his body armor i guess is basically what it comes down to but beyond that uh he's a really cool character um one of again like spider-man's rogues gallery is incredible and another green-colored villain. Yeah. I googled it. I said there's too many green-colored villains in Spider-Man's universe to be a coincidence. I thought, like, maybe it was something... It's like, is it some Shakespearean thing where the villains are dressed in green? No, I think it's just that Spider-Man is red and blue, so they don't right. want villains to be red and blue, so they make them yellow, green, purple, like colors that stand out in stark contrast to Spider-Man. Right, yeah, so exactly. turns out it's just a, a contrast of colors thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, I mean, 
you would think all the villains being green would be a problem. No, it's they all look great. <laughs> Mysterio is no exception. He's like, I guess like he's mainly green and purple. Does he have, I forget, does, he has some yellow on his outfit too. I think so. Yeah, it's like gloves are yellow or parts of his body armor. Anyway, so this is a Mysterio origin episode. Uh, weirdly, it's also, uh, we get our first glimpse into Spider-Man's origin. Yeah. Which up till now, which is episode five, they haven't really like spoke about too directly. I like that they don't make it a whole episode. It's like a couple minutes, mm-hmm. just a little bit of backstory, so you can see, like, oh, that's where he came from. It's, and they don't dwell on it. They just give you the information and move right along, and I love that. It's incredibly minimalist. Um, and you're right. With Spider-Man's origin, it's been told so many times that the less is better, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the main uh, things... Uh, People, critics, and uh, myself at least applauded about Spider-Man: Homecoming that they ignored the origin altogether. Like at at the very least in that movie, his friend Ned was just asking him like what happened, mm. and you heard Peter just allude to it very vaguely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Ned asked him like, "Oh, is the spider still alive?" He's like, "No, spider's long dead, Ned." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like just like things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, so like we get Spider-Man's origin. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but really, a, a, a wonderful, like we said, it's in our opinion, or at least our general opinion, uh, restarting the series, that the best episodes were the ones in full continuity where one just led to the next, and that the one-off episodes were, weren't quite as good. But for a one-off episode, this one's quite good. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like I said, it has real-world locations. So this one starts at the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art, correct? Mm-hmm. The Met. Um, no, not Modern Art. The oh, Met. Oh, right. The Met. Yeah, that's The Metropolitan right. Museum of Art. Right. The Metropolitan Museum of Art. I get those confused. Uh, so it's being robbed. Uh, it looks like it's Spider-Man doing the robbery. In the Egyptian section. Right. Um, he's stealing a bunch of precious jewels. Uh, I like... Uh, obviously, it's a fake Spider-Man. We know Spider-Man's a good guy. He doesn't rob things. Uh, I like that uh, the fake Spider-Man has... All the jewels in a woven spider bag, yeah, and all the, cool. the jewels are just shining through the spider bag. That's so crammed full. Um, and uh, and just to like, you know, this is obviously a setup. So and just to hammer home that it's a setup, they show this fake Spider-Man like after he escapes, he dips back out underneath a an air duct and he waves to the camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I'm Spider-Man. I'm guilty. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, uh, we get some light continuity in this episode. We see. We get some resolution of what happened after Spider-Man met Mary Jane. Uh, she was introduced a few episodes before. It was She was set up in the blind date, similar to how it was in the comics. Um, but we never saw what happened on the date or heard, uh, heard, like, it just seemed like it cut off abruptly from when we last heard of her. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, there's been talk that th- some of these episodes are out of order. I don't know if this one was supposed to air after episode three. But either way, it doesn't really matter. But um, we see Mary Jane. She's calling Peter Parker. She's, like, jazzercising in her yoga pants. Um, she's just stretching. Yeah, no, no. She's No, there's, like, some, like, uh, dance music going on in the background, oh, okay. too. Yeah, so she's working up a sweat. And we learned some, some interesting details about Mary Jane. One, she's a theater major. Um, I guess presumably at the same college as Peter, right? I guess. Yeah, I, I think, like, later in the episode... They run into each other yeah, on campus, Yeah, it looks right? like it's the same campus. Uh-huh. So they're both going to Empire State University. Um, she's calling Peter. Uh, she said she needs help with her physics homework. Mm-hmm. Um, her questions related to what if if non planetary bodies can exude gravitational force. 
of which Spider-Man, of course, is a nerd and knows the answer. Uh, she cuts him off. Uh, she says, let's just go on a date or, you know, it's a, it's a steady date, much like he had with Felicia. Mm-hmm. So Peter really, like, uh, cashing in on his genius. Yeah, the show's really making nerds cool. That's right, yeah. Um, although it, it leads to an interesting question, which we'll discuss later, um, like, if it's more than just his genius that attracts women to him. Uh, yeah, obviously. Right, yeah. Um, but anyway, Spider-Man is so excited that he gets another date that he jumps on his ceiling fan in his room and it like he, it breaks completely and he falls off. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how he's going to explain that to Aunt May later, but he goes down to see Aunt May um, and then he alludes to the fact, or it's alluded to somehow, that they did have a blind date. Yeah. And that it went well. Right. So um, he's been dating, uh, He's so far he's dating two fabulous ladies, uh, Felicia Hardy and Mary Jean Watson. So his social life is quite active, um, somehow fitting it all in, studying, being a photographer, and a superhero in his spare time. Mm-hmm. He's, he's having it all. Um, uh, Aunt May, though, keys Peter into the latest Spider-Man news. The robbery is fully covered on the uh, television. Right, they're watching TV while Aunt May gives him pancakes for breakfast. Right. Peter immediately defends Spider-Man. He says, well, anyone can wear a Spider-Man costume. And she's like, oh, really? Can that person do this? And they show Spider-Man, like, sticking to walls and spinning webs and, like, hopping around. Getting away with his spider-woven bag of jewels. Uh, right. And um, and Aunt May is very... Uh, she, we get the first sense that Aunt May does not like Spider-Man, which is going to be a recurring theme in this show. Mm-hmm. That she's very distrustful of him and thinks he's dangerous and a menace to society. Well, she, I don't think it's so much that she's inherently distrustful of him. I think it's that she follows the media. Right. She, she can't know better than what the the reporters are telling her. That's true. I, I mean, she's also a sucker for, I would, <laughs> I'm going to say right, the right-wing blowhard media of J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> um, I only bring that up because I worked, like, like five years ago, I worked side-by-side with the 75-year-old woman. Um who was just, like, the sweetest old lady, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, she worked because she was just trying to get away from her home life. Like, her 99-year-old mother was still alive, and she had to take care of her. Uh So her vacation in life was working. Right. So she would come to work, and it would be, like, her retirement. And, like, she was kind of wacky and fun. Um, Not the best worker, but who cares at that age, right? Okay. Uh, But anyway, the point is, like, she would always, like, bring up these insane, like, insane you know, conspiracy theories that she'd read in her tabloid newspapers. Uh-huh. And I always have to, like, carefully... She's like, what do you think of this? <laughs> and I'd, like, wh- I'd have to, like, explain to her, like, why it's a lie or why it's fake or why... She's like, well, they wouldn't print it if it isn't real, you know? Uh-huh. And she was so sweet and nice that I, I couldn't, like... couldn't, like, outright tell her she's, like, an idiot or something. I mean, I just think that a lot of, like, old people are prone to, like, sensationalist tabloid journalism. So And young people. Well, all, people of all ages, <laughs> yes. but you, you know what I'm saying. But like, that's why the tabloids are sold. You know what I mean? Like people buy into it. That's true, literally but, and figuratively. I know, but like I'm just saying, it tracks in my experience that like old, like sweet old ladies would be susceptible to it as well. Mm. So just watching this reminded me of that woman I worked with. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, and Jay Jonah Jameson feeds right into that market as right. a character. So uh, it, it's interesting in this case, uh, Peter rushes to the museum, the crime scene. J. Jonah Jameson there is personally reporting on the event in, for his television network. Um, uh, there is a, there's a funny bit of like exposition that answers a question we've been asking about the show. Mm-hmm. Like, why does J. Jonah Jameson hate Peter Parker? Like, sort of unprompted. Like, why is he distrustful of him? Why does he not like him? Mm-hmm. And he lets out a line here that sort of explains it where he 
he alludes to the fact that like how come you photograph Spider-Man all the time but the one night he's clearly committing a crime you're nowhere to be found mm. like where were you and of course you know we know the answer as the audience that Peter is Spider-Man he's, and this is not the real Spider-Man right Peter was in bed sleeping right exactly while this crime was going on <laughs> yeah so but we get an idea of why JJ doesn't like Peter because often he's unreliable well that's part of it um, or to to JJ, he's unreliable. Right, yeah, yeah, because really the only stuff Peter gives JJ is Spider-Man being heroic. Yeah. He never gives him Spider-Man in an unflattering light, which makes a lot of sense. And it's just like a nice little like plot contrivance. Mm. Um, so Peter is investigating the crime scene himself. He sneaks into a back room. He discovers a spider web. He comments that, uh, oh, the spider web hasn't dissolved yet, whereas mine dissolves after an hour. Which is another thing I like about his spider webs, the lore of the spider webs. I like the show. They really cover every basis of the Spider Man comic. Mm. Like, they get to it eventually, and, like, there's no stone left unturned. And there's, like, science reasons behind it. You know, I mean, like, fake science, but in- entertaining science. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we're introduced to a character that's going to be recurring on the show, Lieutenant Lee of the NYPD. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess she's, like, um, she's like a Latina woman. Who uh, she just reminds me of like a mid '90s Law and Order character, mm. which is another reason why I love the show too, is because it just the touchstones of characters. I mean, she might be from the comics as well. I don't know that uh, how deep of a dive Lieutenant Lee is. She might be made up for the show. Mm. Someone can let us know that. But just like it just has the feel of a relevant like mid '90s show, much like Law and Order was. Yeah. Which like my dad. It was a, Law and Order was the kind of show that my dad sort of forced me to watch every day with him. Because it's been on television endlessly in reruns. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, I, you get home early from school at 3 o'clock and you're watching your cartoons or whatever. But then my dad gets home at like 4.35 and it like he immediately puts on his Law and Order for like two hours. <laughs> and, you know, he's controlling the TV at this point. He like makes you watch it with him. <laughs> you could also just get up and not watch TV. Well, uh, obviously, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, who's going to turn away from the almighty glowing television <laughs> at, that, at the age of 10 or 12 or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I remember Law and Order being, a, it, it's a show you can follow. I was a kid, but it felt very adult and it felt very real, and um, it felt like these are real serious issues. But growing up myself now, and it's like a slightly more sophisticated age with more sophisticated television. When you rewatch Law and Orders from the '90s, the classic series, yeah, it you, feels dated. It feels dated and it feels a bit sillier. It's like a lot faker than you remember too, and every plot is the same. Where you know formulaic right yeah, yeah there's a murder in, in downtown manhattan somewhere there's like thousands of murders in downtown manhattan which never happen in real life but, right and the, they always solve the case pretty much right through a series of like tweaked out witnesses right yeah witnesses who are never <laughs> suspicious ex-lovers right like. yeah and witnesses who are never excited to be talking to the police are scared at all they're just like going about selling their hot dogs or working on the docks and like the police come and speak to them every day uh. i think other comedians have uh made uh, extensive note of that but the point is like <laughs> other well yeah right i'm not counting myself as one of them but um, <laughs> i've just seen that the, the point is um law and order like it's still very watchable the classic series today don't get me wrong it's great television but um it's it's sillier nostalgic television on mm-hmm. rewatch um but like i said as a kid i remember being very serious and very adult and lieutenant lee reminds me of those characters <laughs> bring it all back okay. right okay so uh anyway um it's at this point at the museum mysterio reveals himself in his full costume we discussed it's awesome he's a great character he takes off his rolling fishbowl helmet and sort of rolls it on his arms like a magician would um he's kind of like the headless horseman in a weird way like allusions to that mm. he promises to uh catch spider-man himself and he wants 
J. Jonah Jameson to film it. And I like that J.J. is immediately distrustful of him, too. He's not, like, so rabid to just trust the guy who's going to bring down Spider-Man. He's like, you just remind me of another creep in a costume, you know. Hmm. So, but at the same time, the allure of catching Spider-Man appeals to him, and he wants to set up a story in his mind that uh, a hero bringing Spider-Man down, who's public uh, uh, enemy number one in J.J.'s mind. Yep. Anyway, Mysterio shows some of his powers. It, it makes it seem that he's gonna he's collapsing the museum. The the walls are caving in. Only Spider Man doesn't really react. Everyone's running for cover, but it's because his uh, spider sense isn't detecting the danger, which is a very interesting, uh, like another cool aspect of spider sense that we get in the show. Um, we haven't really talked about it too much, but the spider sense is really a great looking gimmick in the yeah, show. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Like, how would you describe it? It's almost like a black light effect, but it shifts quickly. Yeah. And there's that specific, like, high-pitched sound that goes along with it. Yeah. It really, like, anxiety-inducing sound. Yeah. But, like, it, it helpful is, anxiety. But between the sound and, like, the, the black light feeling, it does give you, um, like, a sense of, like, high alert, you know? Right. And also, it's like they show briefly that weird like psychedelic mental tie-dye effect yeah that's something extra like sensory is going on in peter's mind yeah it's really well done yeah it's really well done um again like the psychic landscapes in x-men and in spider-man uh excellent uh <laughs> visual representations of magical mind powers mm-hmm. so uh, uh peter realizes there's something wrong uh he's not fooled by the roof collapsing really um meanwhile uh he's trying to you know, he's just walking along somewhere, I guess, and he gets, he hears a radio report saying that Spider-Man is again robbing an area. This time, it's the Brooklyn Bridge Mall, and so he uh, heads off. Not a off. real location, I R- don't think. I, unless it existed in the 90s. Maybe. I don't think so. Don't the think revitalization so. of the Brooklyn Bridge area didn't, like, probably didn't happen until the 2000s. The only thing I could think is that it's South Street Seaport, and they didn't call it that. But they wouldn't have called... Do you think they would have called it the Brooklyn Bridge Mall on the Manhattan side? It's right in the Brooklyn Bridge. That's true. So, who knows? You're right. It's probably... You're right. I think it's more the South Side Seaport as well. South Street Seaport. South Street Seaport. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah. Because right now, if you go to uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, on the Brooklyn side, they've built this like beautiful, elaborate park called Brooklyn Bridge Park. And there's like some restaurants there, like dotting the ends of it. But it's not a mall. It's not a mall. Um, so... And also, that's way after this. That's way after this is right, yeah. So unless the Brooklyn Bridge Mall is a thing, we don't think so. A fake location, but the Brooklyn Bridge prominent in this episode, uh, which is cool. Um, Anyway, uh, Peter shows up to this mall. He fights the fake Spider-Man. Again, there's more tricks with, like, walls collapsing and closing. Like, at one point, Mysterio creates, like, a a hole in in the wall of this place and builds a golden bridge for Peter to follow him mm-hmm. like but Peter of course like runs into the wall there's it was all fake like I don't know like Mysterious powers are explained later they're just hologram cubes mm-hmm. that like display projections of what's going on but at the same time Mysterio must be doing a lot of like distract magic where he's just going at the regular exit yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it seems like he's going like through a, an impassable object right so that's always, like that's the fun magic of Mysterio in a sense that it's like his power is totally bullshit. 
but at least, some of at it least is in a cartoon like a sleight of hand old magician sort of thing we're, we you presume it to be but like it's not that's not a, like explained ever shown uh-huh. it's just kind of magical how he does escape yeah it's going to be interesting how they do the movie version of mysterio mm. Because uh, they're going to have to make it more real to life. They can't make it so fantastical and fake. Yeah. You know, in the comics and the cartoon, you could just make Mysterio as, like, completely magical as he needs to be until the last panel mm. when he's caught. And it's like, he just says it was all a trick. Right. And you're like, okay, like, you know, you're not to believe your own eyes as the viewer of the comic or the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But in a movie, it's going to be a little different. I think they, they can't just do that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what happens next? So... Uh, Peter, you know, after this, like, he, he goes out to the Brooklyn Bridge. That's where Mysterio is waiting for him. They have a showdown. It's a nice little scene that shows more uh, mise-en-scene of New York City mm-hmm. in the sense that Spider-Man's climbing up the Brooklyn Bridge. People are – there's actually an active crowd out there, like, watching and filming this. And a lot of people are cheering Mysterio when they see him, and they're jeering Spider-Man. And then Mysterio, like – blast some rocks off the top of the Brooklyn Bridge and Spider-Man uh, thinks they're fake at first but it turns out they're real. Spider-Sense goes off. He doesn't trust his Spider-Sense. Mm. He falls into the, the Hudson River presumably drowned. Um, East River. East River, sorry. But um, Sorry. No, it's good to it's for you to correct all my geographical errors here. We want to be as New York accurate as we can in this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it's presumed that he drowns, but uh, lo and behold, he's created an, a spider air sac that he's been breathing underwater. So there's no like magical item that Peter 2 can't create with right. his webs as well, whatever it's convenient. Like, he can make shields and parachutes and breathing things. Yeah, but that's one of the coolest things about like comics and superheroes in general is like you see what their parameters are, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, he's Spider-Man. I know what his powers are. He makes webs. He walks up walls. He's got spider sense. But part of the fun of watching it is as the stories unfold, like seeing the ingenious ways that he uses those powers. Like, he's right. so creative within the parameters given. I mean, it's, and it's the same thing with the X-Men, you know? That's like, true. I, but I think with Spider-Man in the case of his various web powers, like in this case, he, it's like, I didn't know he could make an air sack out of his... Like, yeah, exactly. how, how does that even work, though? You know, like... The, my because it just looks like a paper bag that he's just breathing underwater. I don't know how that's supposed to work. It's like a couple extra lungfuls of air, right? All right, maybe. But my point about that, it, it reminds me a bit of the 60s Batman TV show mm. in that, like, right before they're about to be killed, Batman's like, luckily I had my... My shark repellent. Yeah. My bat shark right. repellent. That's the most famous one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had that on me. Like, yeah. like uh, we were watching some... Uh, we've been watching a lot of classic 60s Batman. We have all the Blu-rays. They're so much fun. Um, I have a lot to say about that show, but just in in general though, like all the like all the stuff, every the it's every episode's a two parter, and the first episode always ends with Batman and Robin about to die. Yeah, and the explanations in the second episode about how they got out of it are so hilarious and worth it. Mm-hmm. It's like luckily uh, Alfred demagnetized my bat suit this morning, <laughs> so that uh, Mister Freeze's magnet r- ray you know had no effect on me, and right. I was able to escape. Um, I just want to say one thing about the Batman TV show. Uh, you know, you can mock that show all you want as being a complete cartoon version of Batman that's, like, bullshit and not related to the cool, like, serious Batman and all different types of mediums. Right. The one thing I will say about the Batman TV shows, uh, Burt uh, Ward's – is that his name? Yeah, Burt, Burt Ward's performance as Robin is to this date still the greatest on-screen performance of the character of Robin yeah, in the history of cinema. <laughs> he really does commit like no other. He is, like, so ridiculously tuned into that role – 
and like he's like violently angry in most episodes too. Yeah. Every time he talks about a villain, he's clenching his fists in like the most serious, like disturbing way and pounding his hands together. He's just angry and filled with rage and like do gooderism too. Like, yeah. But like really, he's like an intense character. He has way more <laughs> intensity than Adam West is Batman. Yeah. Well, and, he's channeling his like adolescent energies, right? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen the new Teen Titan live action show that features Robin that supposedly says "fuck Batman" and that. But uh, outside of him, uh, I haven't given that a shot yet. Still, Burt Ward was the best Robin ever. And I think that's just funny to, like, compare, like, cross-compare across all media. Mm. And think, like, like, Robin really has not been, like, outdone. Like, because think about it, like, that performance could be so, could ruin the show based on the costume alone. Mm -hmm. He's wearing green, like, men's panties. Mm -hmm. You know, and like and little pantyhose, right? White yeah, pantyhose. And, and those shoes are ridiculous. The elf shoes, yeah. The elf shoes, like like everything about that character could be such a joke, but Burt Ward sells it so convincingly yeah. that he really is pulled off the comic book page. You know, like you buy him as much as you'd buy reading Robin in the Batman comic. Mm. All right, so that's an aside. I had to get that out somewhere. I was thinking about just posting about it on Facebook, but nobody would care. <laughs> I'm sure less people care here, but whatever. All right, so where were we? So. uh you know, Spider-Man, Mysterio gets away, he's annoyed, um, but he's been so caught up in chasing Mysterio, he forgot about his date with Mary Jane, which is a recurring theme in the show. I know. He forgets about so many dates that he's so excited for. Um, a lot of times he doesn't forget, too. He, he knows he has a date, and he's so pissed he can't get out of, like, saving the world. Mm. But in this case, he's really, he forgot about it, and he's so angry at himself. Um, Mary Jane calls him, she, like, says that, with me, it's one strike and you're out. Um... And, you know, it's, like, such a bummer for Peter that he quits being Spider-Man. That's how upset he is. He throws his costume. Like, everyone thinks he's dead anyway. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, I'm dead. Spider-Man's over. What a stupid, like, idea this was. I, I don't think this is going to be the first time we're going to see Peter quit as being Spider-Man. Nope, definitely not. It's also going to be a recurring theme to a certain extent. But this leads in... So, but then Lieutenant Lee, who says she's been trying to figure out who Spider-Man is for years, she tracks down Peter and uh, she says, you know, you're the closest person I know to Spider-Man um, and, uh, you know, you've got to get Spider-Man to help me get this guy Mysterio. I, I just know in my heart Spider-Man's a good guy. And uh, and he says, well, you know, like, maybe Spider-Man's de like dead or doesn't want to help anymore. And she says something like, Spider-Man's the kind of guy who's never turned his back on the city when it's been in need. And that, in a sense, makes Peter feel real guilty. And then he remembers why he became Spider-Man in the right. first place. She's like, too bad spending all that time with him didn't rub off on oh, you. Oh, yeah. Like, his yeah. Good that good quality <laughs> yeah. didn't rub off on you. And then he feels, like, super guilt-tripped. Yeah. He goes inside and he, like, is reminiscing about Uncle Ben and... His whole origin as a wrestler. Right. Sp uh, Peter Parker being guilted out is just one of the greatest tropes in comic books uh his the guilt he feels is so great and so it's like he's it's constantly tested too because he, his life would be a lot easier if he quits mm -hmm. being spider-man i mean stuff they've explored in the movies too in spider-man 3 you know yeah he quits um like he quits in various movies but here it's really great and so then we get to see his origin uh he says you know when he got his powers he, he uh became a wrestler to earn money and fame uh, in this version, his first Spider-Man costume is his final Spider-Man costume. It's mm -hmm. not like he had a crappier one before. Um, that's like one small touch didn't really like that would have been helpful here, but they don't go into. But anyway, uh, then we see that he lets the guy who robs the wrestling rink run away, and then it turns out that guy killed Uncle Ben, like you know, coincidentally. Uh, when Spider-Man finds out, he's so shocked. You see Spider-Man's eyes like 
like completely like open up wide when he pulls the robber's mask off, mm-hmm. and that's why he had to be Spider-Man. So, you know, he he's kind of cursed to to do this because, and he finally lets loose the 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 signature quote, um, "With great power comes great responsibility." Yeah. Which I think if you read the original first Spider-Man issue ever, that that's not the exact quote. It's something like Stanley added more flourish to it. I forget what it is exactly, but it's like with ever great power comes ever you know fantastic responsibility. It's like uh-huh. a little more. It got pared down over the years. Okay. But anyway, um, that's the classic line: "With great power comes great responsibility." A truly like wonderful message to put out there to people. Mm-hmm. You know that like should you like come upon great fortune of some kind it it really uh it's incumbent upon you to to not just like use it all for yourself for matters of greed you've got to like you know spread the wealth to a certain extent mm. i mean at least that's my reading of it uh, i guess other people can read to it what they will um but i mean and you don't even have to be a superhero or be rich or anything it's just like in general like the more capable you are, the more you learn, the less ignorant you are, the more it's your responsibility to be a force of good in your life to, you know, extend those positive ripples, right? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So where were we? Um, oh, we also get our first – I don't know if it's our first glimpse of Uncle Ben in the show, but we see him in a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, it's at this point that um, Spider-Man and Lieutenant Lee figure out – that uh, Mysterio is Quentin Beck, uh, who was a special effects man. That w- they were filming a movie on the Brooklyn Bridge, and Beck wanted a bigger explosion, so he had some unsafe mortars placed, and that caused a helicopter to crash. Which Spider-Man had to rescue the pilot. Um, Spider-Man figured out what went wrong, and he, you know, captured Beck on the scene to uh, to hold him accountable, saying like you were neg- uh, uh, negligently dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beck was sentenced to a year in prison. Uh, we see his criminal file, which is insanely misspelled in two places. Yeah. Um, it says New York, spelled you know N E W Y O C K, and then I guess it's supposed to spell like felony endangerment, uh-huh. but it's something like Foveny Engraman or something. <laughs> and we posted. Kaluni. Yeah, we posted on the X Men Task podcast Facebook group. Go check it out there to see. Funny. Uh, one of our other podcast posters, was it Tom? Tom, I think. Yeah. yeah, he posted another image from this episode earlier in the week. You know, I thought it was actually from the previous episode, but it turns out it's from this one. Right. So I got a bit confused there, but later Spider-Man, when he's going to uh, Mysterio's Wonder Studios base, he gets all these blueprints of different areas, and he finds the museum blueprint, and it's spelled like Muscum. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So whoever the artist was, like, writing these forms, either English was not the first language, or they are just so lazy, they, you know... Or confused. Right, or, or they are rushed or something. Anyway, yeah. yeah, thanks for that gem, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, what else? Goes? So Spider-Man finds uh, Mysterio's base. He sends a message to JJ saying, if you want to know the real story of Mysterio, come to this location, which he does. Spider-Man sees uh, the fake Spider-Man suit there with suction cups, which at first he thinks is real chintzy, but then sees that they work really well. Well, yeah, right, exactly. He's like, well, whatever works, I guess. Yeah. It's funny. And then he discovers the hologram cubes, too, which, while I like the hologram cubes, I find them... Like, it's really hard to imagine... Yeah, it's thin. It's thin, because it's like... (laughs) the, The way Mysterio uses them, they seem to be way more advanced than how they actually are when Spider Man discovers them. I mean, when he discovers them, they just seem like projectors. Right. Like mini projectors in a small cube. 
Right. That play a movie over a, a 2D space. Yeah. I mean, I guess that they somehow project in three dimensions, which is... It's like Jem and the Holograms. Right. You know, it's like really too believable. And Mysterio pulled from the Gem and the Hologram <laughs> animated universe somehow. He would have been the ultimate villain there. You know, another show animated by Marvel Studios. Right. Not a Marvel character, but still some ties there. But you're right. Um, yeah, so he has the magical power of holograms for the most part. Also, he has the power of like robotics engineering. Because he has some robotic monsters, too, that he lets loose on Spider-Man. Right. Well, he was, like, a, a special effects guy, so I guess maybe that's where those skills came from. Right. I mean, it's hard to say where this guy got all his money to run the studio with all these incredibly advanced technologies and things. Like, how, I guess uh, maybe from the robberies. Mm. But still, like, he must have been... He's, like, one of these magical scientists that is so good at being a scientist that he can overcome the presumably millions to billions of dollars you would need to develop this kind of technology. Right. Like, he can just make it in his basement, you know, somehow. Um, but that's, like, the charm of a lot of the Marvel Universe, that there's these mad scientists out there that are just so good at science that yeah. they can overcome, you know. Pretty cool. Right. I mean, you, you would think <laughs> that, like, to make a hologram cube, you would need a lot of, like, rare earth minerals that are hard to get by. Right. <laughs> you know, which, uh, we, we saw this, like, crazy Google News alert in our phones that said that... They discovered this score of rare earth minerals off the coast of, uh, like, a Japanese island mm -hmm. that they say will keep uh, the world's consumer market knee-deep in rare earth minerals for centuries. <laughs> they say, like, oh, boy, we're going to run out of, like, niblonium or, like, some, you know, I don't know, like, all these rare materials. But, like, thank God uh, they found, like, a whole stash of them, like, off the coast of Japan. Now we can keep building our fancy electronics. Uh-huh. Uh, without fear of running out of them. <laughs> and we'll never have to recycle. Right. Well, that's why I feel uh. bad. Like, I, in my drawer, I have all these old cell phones and, like, iPods and things. And, uh, obviously, I know you're supposed to recycle them somehow, uh -huh. but I, I'm afraid of throwing them out, too. Uh -huh. And it's just, like, I know that, like, they're filled with valuable rare earth minerals. Like, not saying that I would cash in on them, personally, but, like, and also unrecyclable parts. Uh -huh. So I just, like, I never know what to do with them. I know you have to take them to some, like, computer recycling center. Yeah, yeah. Is that There's basically... Yeah, but then I'm also afraid of, like, the data on them and they haven't been charged up in years and there's just like a, there's like these a bunch of like weird reasons as to why they stay in my drawer <laughs> instead of why I like google take the five minutes to google what you do with them <laughs> well you're in luck because i've taken the five minutes to google it you've and done I've, it i've brought my devices and right. now i know a guy all right you'll have to show me later okay <laughs> all right anyway so Spider-Man's tangling Mysterio. He's dealing with a combination of holograms and robot monsters and multiple Mysterios. I like that Spider-Man references Roger Corman at some point uh, mm. when he's fighting these monsters because they're kind of cheesy looking. And Roger Corman, of course, is the world-famous B-movie director who's made a lot of like low-budget films. Um, and most famously, well, maybe not most famously, but most infamous, infamously the Fantastic Four movie that was never released mm. that some film studio had him produce for a million dollars just so they could hold on to the rights. Constantine Films, I believe they're called. And they've held on to them to this day. They've had a, a licensing agreement with Fox. Now, presumably, that's all going to be scooped up by Disney. All right, anyway. But check out... I think you can download it on a website, the uh, Fantastic Four Roger Corman movie. It's quite a ridiculous spectacle of low-budget Marvel action. Mm -hmm. Um... So, uh, anyway, Mysterio almost has Spider-Man captured. He falls into a spider web. Spider-Man actually pretty easily gets out of this death-defying thing. Also, JJ and Lieutenant Lee are in a web. They're about to be lowered onto some, like, jagged stalagmites or something. Uh, stalagmites or stalactites? Stalagmites. Stalagmites. Anyway, jagged rocks. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're about to fall into and die. Spider-Man saves them rather easily. Uh, there's a bunch of Mysterios. Spider-Man uses his spider sense to catch the real one. And um, that's pretty much it with Mysterio. He's arrested. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, 
Peter runs into MJ on the campus of the university. She forgives him. I'm surprised she forgives him. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, we both weren't acting ourselves yesterday. How about you walk me to class? And he's like, all right. <laughs> I think there's... Now, now that I think about it in the moment, I think there's some realism as to why she would forgive him. Yeah. Because he blew her off. He was the cool one. Mm. You know, she's, like, incredibly, like, beautiful, like, popular, hot-to-trot woman on campus. They make a date. Like, most guys would, like, be ahead of that date two hours early, you know? Uh-huh. Like, completely, like, nervous and sweaty, waiting to impress her. Uh-huh. And he just forgets about her. And in a way, that's cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, encouraging that kind of behavior, but I'm just saying naturally, though. Uh-huh. Like, I think... I, I can feel see. like it's like he's playing it cool even though he's not playing it. It's, right, yeah. It it's not intentionally. Right. So it makes Peter more desirable because, you know, he he's hard to get in his own sense as well. Right, okay. Um, but anyway, she forgives Peter. Um, there's a funny uh, dialogue in there where she said something like, uh, do you know what I have in common with Spider-Man? And he's like, oh, you both look good in skin-tight outfits. Right. <laughs> I thought that was, like, a really, like, super, like, flirtatious... Uh, yeah, he likes her. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that's, like, like an overly confident line, though, in a way, too. That way he's able to just spin that out uh, real fast. Uh-huh. I was impressed by Peter's... <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of game, is what I'm saying. You know, like, <laughs> it, it, with these... Like, he's smart and witty enough to, like, to really, to, you know, make make his potential lovers laugh. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, so that's the funny line. But then uh, he says, well, do you still need help with your physics homework? And she says, uh, no, like, um, much like theater, I've discovered that physics is all about, like, trying to understand how the real world works. And once I figured that out, I was able to study on my own, and I figured it all out. And, how uh, abstract. Right, how abstract of her. And she's pretty charming, though. Like, I, yeah. I actually... Like, I, I don't remember much of the Mary Jane character. I'm excited to see how she evolves in this show. Uh-huh. So, uh, from so far, she's been really charming, and, like, I can see why Peter likes her. Yeah. I thought she'd just be kind of, like, ditzy and stupid, but no, she's not. No, they actually show her as really smart and capable. Right, yeah. She's got her own agency and stuff. So, and then the episode ends. So, uh, like we said, um, a very good one-off episode. A lot of good elements. Mary Jane, uh, Aunt May not liking Peter, er, I mean Spider-Man. Um, Mysterio. Mysterio's introduction's really good. Spider-Man's origin. Some information on J.J. why he doesn't like Peter Parker. The introduction of Lieutenant Lee. A lot going on. Um, a really highly recommended episode. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. Um, so, that's all I have for this episode. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the, the wider world of Spider-Man or comic books we should address. I, I can't really... Nothing comes to mind. So with that, <laughs> I'll say, um, please, uh, like I mentioned before, join the X-Men Task podcast Facebook, Facebook group. Just seek us out there. You can speak to us. Uh, uh, let us know uh, you know, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Interact with all the other fans of the show. It's always fun to hear from you all. Uh, also, rate and review the podcast five stars on iTunes, wherever you uh, rate and review podcasts. And follow me on Twitter, at Willie Simpson. Sonia, do you have any final words before uh, we barrel into the continuing depressing winter of 2019? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. How about you? Got, are you? you got everything about Burt Ward off your chest? I got everything about Burt Ward <laughs> off my chest. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Aquaman at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, you know... I, enough people have said it's good that it makes me want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I trust them. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Right. I, I have a, for me, it's a low bar to impress. 
in the sense that like the movie if the movie's good I'll like it it doesn't have to be great but it doesn't mean that I'm going to think it's like, like me thinking it's like genius or something's another story but like it's all about me getting my money's worth okay so if I get my money's worth I'm satisfied enough so but I've the DC movies are mostly crappy so yeah. I don't know we'll Remains see to be seen. Remains to be seen. so we'll, maybe we'll talk about Aquaman in the future once we see it um, and that's all I have to say uh, good night everybody good night <laughs>